continuing to talk about the gospel in four letters, good news in four letters. Uh, we're studying uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. We've made our way through Galatians. We're now in Ephesians. And we're, we're really giving attention this year to the idea of the gospel, which means good news. Everybody in this room believes something that they believe is good and right and true. And what you believe is good and right and true, it drives your thoughts, it drives your affections, it drives your activity, why you get up and what you do. And here's the way we like to say it. Every, everyone has a gospel, and the, say it with me, the gospel you believe determines the life that you live. So whatever you believe is good and right and true, that's going to determine how you live. Now the gospel of God, the gospel is taught in the Bible. It's the good news that, that God has saved us from the power and punishment of sin. It's the power of God to save us from the, from the punishment and power of sin so that we have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. And this has all been revealed in the Word of God. This has been given to us. And, and what we're studying right now is, is the good news revealed. And, and you need to understand that, that for believers, there's a difference between a spirit-filled believer and a non-believer. Anyone can read the Bible. If you can read, you, you can read the Bible. But there, there are some aspects of the reality of what the Bible says that can only be spiritually discerned by those who've been born again. And so we're, we're saying this throughout the series, and I think it's a very important distinction to understand. The good news of God allows believers, again, those who've been born again, to know the plans and desires that God has revealed for his people. Only those who are alive in Christ have the capacity to understand the revelation of God to its fullest extent. Now, what we're doing is we're studying the book of Ephesians. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go ahead and, and turn now to the book of Ephesians. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's probably one right in front of you. Feel free to use it. Feel free to use your phone. We use the ESV. If you want to download that app, you will find it uh, very user-friendly. And what we're, we're studying is, is this really long, theologically rich sentence in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, that is one entire sentence. Pastor Hunter said last week it's, it, it has as many words as the Gettysburg, Gettysburg Address. I did not know that. See, that's, that's why you got to get young people to preach. They know stuff, right? They, 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 they know how to use that, that, that AI stuff. That's scary to me. I don't know. I don't know. Now, today, uh, we're, we're going to be looking at, at verses uh, 7 and following. Last week, you looked at verses 3 through 6, and, and that... That describes the, the person of God the Father. What we're going to look at today in, in verses 7 through 12, it reveals God the Son. Now let's remember, quick review, that, that the God of the Bible is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we see all three revealed in, in these verses 3 through 14. Next week, we will be uh, seeing the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Spirit revealed. But this one true God is one God in three persons. And, and it's, it's challenging to understand this. As a, as a part of my de devotional life, uh, something I'm, I'm adding for the, for the next 52 days is a catechism. It's called the New City Catechism. And all it is, it's an app, by the way, you can download it, New City Catechism. And it, and it asks and, and answers 52 questions. So here was question number three uh, that came up uh, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. How many persons are there in God? There are three persons in the one true and living God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are the same in substance, 
equal in power and glory. The, the, the Trinity, again, is one of the glorious doctrines of Christianity that, that makes our faith so unique. There's no God like our God. There's no God like the God of the Bible. He is completely satisfied in and of himself because he is one God in three persons. He is loved. He is desired. He is praised. He is, he is what is called self-sufficient in every way. He doesn't need any of us. He doesn't need anything. He is completely self-sufficient and completely satisfied in and of himself as the Father and the Son praise the Spirit, the Spirit and the Son praise the Father. They're all praising, they're all delighting, and they're all loving one another. And, and, and this God needs nothing. This is a very sobering thought. God does not need any of us. God doesn't need you. But he wants you. He wants you so bad. He wants you to, to know him. He wants you in his life. He wants to be in your life. He wants to be your God. And he's done everything necessary in order for that to be your reality. To save us and to make us his God has come to rescue us. And that's what the entire Bible is about. It's about the rescue operation of God for his glory and our blessing. The, the Bible is one story in four parts. Let's review the four parts. What are they? Say them out loud. They are creation. Excellent. At the new members class the other night, I heard some mumbling and I was like, all right, we're going to review this for the next few weeks. So I'm, I've had all the preachers are, are, are using this. I'm not, I'm not going to name names chapel, but I'm concerned that maybe they're not giving uh, the proper emphasis. And so we just, you know, we got we to help these young people out. They don't know everything. They got AI. They don't know anything. They're, we got to help them out. But this, this story, it's one story, four parts, creation, fall, rescue, restoration. And friends, it is the backdrop for how we here at Living Hope, the way we understand a, a, a reality, the reality of all people and how that reality can be transformed by the gospel. So over the top, let me overlay for you the, the three circles with the story. What, what does this tell us? It tells us that God made all things in harmony. God's creation was, is, was perfect. We weren't made to die. We weren't made to suffer. We weren't made to be confused and angry. We were made to have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. But here's what we're all experiencing, brokenness. Because that's what sin does. It breaks our relationship with God, which breaks our relationship and our understanding of self, which causes division with other people. It creates pain and suffering and hurt, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And God, because he's self-sufficient, because he is God and does not need us, he could have he could have just, in all justice, justly left us in this condition, but he didn't. Here's the good news. God himself became one of us, died for our sin and was raised so that we can now pursue and recover God's design. And that is the story of the Bible. That's the reality of what the scriptures is about. And there's one hero. There's one hero in the Bible and it's not me, and it's not you, and it's not any, any other uh, created being. It is God alone. Jesus Christ is the hero of the Bible. And, and, and there's a lot of folks that have a problem with the scriptures because of that one fact. 
See, a lot of people want to come to the Bible to hear about how great they are. They want to come to the Bible for a slogan or a saying that will give them the strength to, to, to be able to go out and be their own hero and, and to, to realize their, 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 their own existence. And, and that's not what the Bible offers. It's not what God offers. God offers a rescue. The Bible teaches about the hero. Jesus Christ and all that he has done to bring salvation to our lives. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save. And what we're going to see in our text today is why that is true. Again, there's a lot of folks that, will, that are upset by this. They, they don't like this. They don't want to hear this. And, and, and if, if that's you today, let me encourage you to at least be open to what the scripture is saying. It doesn't matter what I'm saying, what the Bible says. I'm going to use a lot of scripture today. Consider what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ, about what he has done, is doing, and shall do. And, and consider aligning your life under the revealed Son of God. So we're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be in verses 7 through 12. Grayson, where are you? Come on up, Grayson. Uh, let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Grayson is going to read for us uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through 12. Grayson, read that for us, buddy. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to open Christ might be to the praise of his glory. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Let's hear it for Grayson. Wasn't that great? Good job. Good job, buddy. If you would go ahead and be seated and pray now for the the preaching of of God's word. When we're thinking about the Trinity, it's it's very important that we that we do not think of 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 each in terms of a functionality. It's called modalism. It's this idea. It's a, it's a, it's a heresy that that teaches that 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 God is distinct based on 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 how each person of the Trinity functions, and that's not true. Our salvation is of God. And while certainly there are specific aspects, as this one sentence reveals, we need to understand that the God of the Bible in his entirety, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his triune being, has provided the experience by which we are saved. And friends, it is an experience. Some of you are, are going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the fundamentals of the faith thing. There, there, there's probably... This may be the most, these words I'm going to use today, as I was thinking about them in the last service, are, are probably some of the most important ideas and thoughts that I can communicate. So this is sort of a big deal. But here's what I know. Some of you know a lot of this information. But are you experiencing the person of Jesus Christ? What, what we're looking at here is, is, is the person that has been revealed. God in flesh the Son of God, God who has come to rescue us and to provide 
this experience. And it is, again, it's an experience. It's not enough to have words. It's not enough to have pictures. A, a couple of weeks ago, uh, the staff and I were on our, our annual retreat where we get away and we were in the Smoky Mountains. And, and look at us. There we are on this mountain. And, and you know what? You can see the pictures. You can see the, the, the waterfall and say, oh, isn't that just so pretty? Isn't that just... Friends, I want to tell you, it was awesome. It was incredible. Jacob Brumley was climbed that waterfall. And there's no experience like waiting to watch for someone to fall and figure out how we're going to carry him out of there. It's an experience. You know, two days later, that was on Tuesday. On Thursday, I was in Arizona. Asher and I were in Arizona. And, and we were at the Lost Dutchman. And that picture was so great that our computer can't even hold it. How about that? Shut our computer down. It's, I don't know why. It's, it's, it's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. I don't get this technology stuff. But... Here, here was these, these two wonderful things. And if, and if the computer could reveal the picture, you would think, oh, that is so pretty. That is just gorgeous. No, it's awesome. But you wouldn't know it if you weren't there. It's an experience. And so it is with salvation. It's not enough to know the facts. It's an experience that transforms your life. And so I want to invite some of you today to ask God, to provide this experience for you. Some of you have never had it. And for those of you who have, I want you to ask God to renew this experience because salvation is, is something that happens and, and you're saved, but it transforms your life all the, the rest of your life. And, and if, if I'm honest, there's gonna be some times and some things I'm gonna be saying that you're gonna have heard before and you're not gonna be excited about it. Here's the question I would invite you to talk to God about as I'm preaching. Why am I not so much more excited about this? Why has my heart grown dull to the greatness of this good news? What does this say about my personal Christian experience and what needs to change. So I want to show you, there's, there's three things here that, that I see in our text concerning the God, God the Son who is revealed. Uh, let me encourage you to write down and remember these three things. The first is this. God the Son is revealed as the one who purchased our redemption. Purchased our redemption. Now, I'm gonna get, I want to take you phrase by phrase, word by word. Stay with me. We're going to start in verse 7. These are, these are vital concepts. Not that all of Scripture is not vital to, to our salvation. I find this very helpful. First of all, look at verse 7. In Him, prepositional phrase, in Him, in Christ Jesus, the Son of God. This is a unique experience. Jesus does not offer rules or an ideology or, or a personal empowerment plan. He provides a relationship with him that transforms us, transforms the way we see everything, the way we feel about everything, the way we choose to live our lives. Jesus offers us himself. In him, we have it is something we receive. It's something we have. It's a present active imperative. That means it's something we have and we continue to have it forever. It never ceases. In him, we have, big word, redemption. Redemption. This, this word, two words are formed from it. Apa and lutrao. Apa, lutrosis. Uh, apo, from. And lutrao, lutrao, redeem. Redeemed from. Apolotrosis is, is, is the experience of a person who has been freed from the bondage of sin. This is something that only happens by faith. And if you've never experienced this liberation, 
you need to understand you are in bondage. Jesus said this in John 8, 34. Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. If you've not been born again, you can't help but sin. You, you see your life as being about you. Your, the, the flesh, your desires define you, defines your appetite, de defines how, how, how you want to proceed. You, you love you and what you want. You know, a friend of mine was here preaching not too long ago, and it's so funny. He said, you know, how many of you, whenever a picture, if you're in a group picture, find yourself first? Why is that? Because we love ourselves. We think that we are the center of the universe, and that's what sin does. It, it holds us captive to ourselves and to our sin. It says in Romans six seventeen, but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. By believing in Christ and who he is and what he's done and what he shall do, you are enclosed into this reality of a person who is Jesus Christ. He encloses you and then by the power of the Spirit drives you and guides you by his might for his glory and our blessing. Some of you have heard me talk about my first car when I was a teenager, 16 years old. I had a beauty, a 1979 Ford Fiesta. I know this picture is going to cause many of you to envy. It's a sin. Don't do it. Don't do it. She, she was something. She was something. Three speeds. Woo! Four people could pick it up. And they did often. It was annoying. They'd move it where I parked it. I couldn't find it. I was not allowed to drive this car on the interstate for all practical reasons. One, early on, I didn't have enough experience. Secondly, it couldn't go fast enough oftentimes. I mean, maybe downhill with a, with a wind to the tail, we could kind of catch it. But what was really dangerous is when 18 wheelers would go by, sometimes it would kind of push us off because I didn't always keep the rules and I would try it sometimes and I would thought I'm, I'm not going to make it this time and it was it was a terrifying experience and so so long as I was enclosed in the 1979 Ford Fiesta I was recorded to stay on the side roads and so long as you are living in and of yourself you are enclosed in what you can do you are stuck on the side roads of sin you, you cannot be on the interstate of heaven because you don't have the capacity. See, when I, I was a kid, I'd like to borrow my dad's truck or my mom's car because they had the capacity to go, to, to go uh, the speed that, that was required. They were, they were built up and strong enough that, that they, once I was enclosed in them, I could, I could get on that interstate. And so it is in Christ. He's strong enough. He's fast enough. He has the ability to enclose us so that we can go forward in the way that is to heaven. Without Christ, we have no hope. Without Christ, we are stuck in our sin. And the side road of sin leads to death. But Christ has come, Matthew 20, 28. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what Jesus did. That's verse seven. Through his blood. Through his blood. We need to understand Christ's blood, his death is an atoning sacrifice. Christ's death, the death of Jesus, was the payment for our release from the oppression and punishment that sin causes. Almost every time we receive the Lord's Supper, I quote Hebrews 9.22. Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. 
That's how serious sin is. There has to be a payment of blood, of death. And what does this payment provide? Look in verse seven, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Now, I love this word forgiveness, Ephesus, Ephesus. And you think about, we're studying the book of Ephesians, the, the, the book of Ephesus. And this week, as I was studying this, I was thinking, I wonder if it dawned on them, if they started to laugh. Here we are, the people of, of, of Ephesus with Ephesus. See, those are kind of the weird things I think about. Don't, don't let that, that sidetrack you too much. But what did they had? What were they given? Forgiveness. How? Through the blood of Christ. Why? Because he died in our place. Because the wrath of God, the justice of God, de demands the, the heinous nature of sin to, to pay for what is awful. Friends, forgiveness should make us aware and the death of Jesus should overwhelm us of how serious sin is. I, I appreciate H.D.M. Spence. He said, Ephesus denotes release, separation from all the consequences of our transgressions. Equivalent, and you need to know this one, to Psalm 103.12. This is the King James Version to what he used. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Think about that. East and west, it, it, they cannot touch. That's how far our sin is separated from us in Christ Jesus. It doesn't touch us. It's been paid for. He, he no longer holds us responsible. We are no longer under condemnation. This is Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And this glorious gift was given to us, look at this, according to the riches of his grace, verse eight, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. We do not deserve this. It is grace. Remember what grace is. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And we are given this by faith by trusting in what Christ has done and who he is. And notice how this gift of who he is, it was, these words, it was lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, which means it was a gift that was thought through. Have you ever, have you ever given the perfect gift? I have not. I, I am not good at gift gifting. I'm, I, this, is, this is confession hour, okay? And, 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 and it, I'm just not good at it. Because to, to, to give the perfect gift, there, there can be no thought of cost. There can be no thought of that. It's just, it doesn't matter. And it has to be well thought through considering who the individual is and what they want and need. When I go shopping, I panic. I get in there, I see, oh, I don't like this. And I forget, the size matters. Other times I'll find the size and then I'll, I'll, I'll buy something crazy. Why would you buy this? It was a medium. <laughs> it's not a good reason. And that's why I'm not good at gifts. That's why cold, hard cash, that's the way to go. All right. It's just, it's just easier for the gift giver, but I, I'm not good at it. God is God's gift spared no expense, lavished it on us. And how did he lavish on it? Just, did he not think about it? No, in all wisdom and insight. He knew exactly what, he knew exactly how. He was willing to pay the ultimate price to give us this gift. And because it was God's eternal purpose, God the Son, second thing, write down and remember, God the Son is revealed as the one who accomplished God's purpose. God's purpose to save us was and is. And this is, look at verse nine. 
It was the mystery. It is the mystery of God's will. There are certain things that you're never going to understand this side of heaven. And this frustrated me when I was first considering becoming a Christian. I couldn't, I couldn't take the Trinity. I couldn't take eternity. I couldn't take some of these vast concepts of the sovereignty of God. And I couldn't put them in my pocket and have them. They, they were beyond me. And uh, the man who mentored me gave me this verse. You need this verse. This is Deuteronomy 29, 29. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. There are mysteries. And they belong to the Lord our God. But the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That we may do all the words of this law. We can't understand all of it. But what we do know, we, we are to do. And we are to share and to disciple our children and our families in this truth that we might enjoy what God has done and what he has revealed. And what he has revealed, verse 9, is God's purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. From the day of the fall, it was God's intention to sacrifice his son, to crush the head of the evil one. This is, this is uh, Genesis 3.15. Speaking to the serpent, God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. That is, Jesus will bruise your head, but you will bruise his heel. Which is worse, to get your ankle crushed or your head crushed? Jesus' ankle was crushed. Yes, he died. He was, he was placed in the grave, but he was raised on the third day. When he died and was raised, he crushed the head of the evil one. And he set us free from the power of the, and the punishment of the sin that held us. And he did that with his sacrifice. This is Isaiah 53. This was written almost 700 years before Jesus Christ. This describes what Christ did. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked with a rich man in his death although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth even though he was sinless. Yet it was the will of God to crush him he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering, forget. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. That describes perfectly the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Promised 700 years before his birth. This was not an afterthought. He has lavished on us with all wisdom this glorious gift. And it came at just the right time. Romans 5, 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And now that Jesus has, has come, what, is he, what has he done? He's lived a holy life. He died an atoning death and he's been raised from the dead. And so the kingdom of God has come. And we discussed this all last year. If you'll remember, we spent a whole year talking about the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter one, verse 15, Jesus began his ministry preaching. He, he said, repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is near. And the kingdom of God has arrived, but not fully. Here's what we said all year last year. The kingdom of God has arrived, is being revealed, and shall one day be fully 
realized. The story of the word of God has held true. Christ came just as God said he would. He, di- he lived and died and was raised just as he said he would. And he's going to return. God's purpose has been, is, and shall be accomplished by, by Jesus. Because, third thing, write down, remember, God the Son is revealed as the one who secured our inheritance. Secured it. In Christ, we have an eternal inheritance according to the purpose God predestined. Friends, God always accomplishes his will. He is so sovereign. And I know Pastor Hunter went over this with you last week. He is so sovereign. All of us have the freedom to make choices and be responsible. And yet none of them can thwart the will of God. You cannot stop God. And what he is determined to do is to secure our inheritance. He has provided all that we need. All we have to do is trust him. There was a college class, um, it was a hard class, and the students needed to make an A to get in their graduate study program, and this class was kind of the bridge to that. And if you didn't make an A, you didn't get in. So the students knew that there was a professor who always graded on a curve. So uh, everyone got a, a, a good chance. So if, if the highest grade was a 95, that student would get a five, five points added. So the student gets 100, and then everyone else gets five points added to the grade. And so all the students typically would take that professor's class knowing that usually there was a little bit of buffer there. But one year, this genius shows up, and he made hundreds on all the tests. And the students were furious. They were crying and complaining. They began to despise the genius because he was messing them up. So at the end of the year, the professor, he was given the exam. It was the day of the exam. Everyone studied hard. Everyone was under pressure. It was tight. And the professor said, before we begin the exam, I want to say this. I've received your emails. Thank you. I've heard from the dean. Thank you. Here's what we're going to do. You've studied hard. You've worked hard. Today, as you take this exam, you have a choice. If you would like to take and to receive credit for another student's test score today, after you take your test, draw a line through your name and write the name of the student that you want the test score of. If you choose to take that test score, not only will that be the test score of your exam, it will be your final grade. Guess who got prayed for that day? Come on, genius. Come on, genius. Today's your day. Today's your day. Sure enough, you made a 100. Do you know that there were actually some, they they just couldn't bring themselves to do it. They couldn't bring themselves to entrust themselves to someone else. Their pride wouldn't let them. Something else wouldn't let them do it. And they received their grade. Some did not go on to graduate school, even though that gift was given. Jesus Christ has come. He has lived the perfect life. And he died to pay for your sin. He has secured the inheritance of heaven. And all we need do is trust in what he has done rather than trust in ourselves. Some of you here right now, you're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in yourself to provide heaven. You're trusting in yourself to earn it. You're trusting in yourself to make sense of life. You're trusting in yourself to to be able to fulfill it. And I just want to say, really? 
You who can't control your emotions half the time. You who get, who get often overwhelmed. Who do, you don't have any idea of even what's going to happen to you this afternoon. You who have said, I'm never going to do that again, only to do that very thing you said you'd never do again and again and again and again. Friends, don't trust in you. The hero has come. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has been revealed. And he has brought good news. And the good news is this. You can stop relying on you. You can trust fully in him and receive full credit for his life and his love and his resurrection power. You can have eternal life in him. Don't delay. Don't delay. We're going to have leaders here at the front, folks out in the hallway. Don't delay. Receive this gift today. Now, some of you have. Let me ask you a question. Why are you worried? Why are you angry? Why won't you forgive that person that hurt you? Why are you being so miserable? If Christ is your Savior and Lord, you have no reason to ever worry. You have no reason to ever hold a grudge against anybody else. You have no reason to, to fear. You can trust him. You, you're not even a 1979 Ford Fiesta, spiritually speaking. Stop trusting in you. Start trusting in him. Let's stand together as we pray. Care leaders, come forward. Father, we are so grateful for your word and for the revelation of your son. And we ask, oh God, that you would help us to experience this reality. I pray for some here today who've never been transformed by this reality that today is the day of their salvation. I pray for some who have been saved, but if they're honest, their hearts are cold, they're bored this morning, this doesn't move them in any way. Their eyes are off of you and they're on the, the, the lust of their flesh or the, the problem of their day. Father, I pray that you would move our hearts, that we would look to you, that we would be caught up in your presence and we would be changed. Change us, Lord. I know some need to come and pray about that. Some need to go and talk to some leaders here at the front or out in the hall at Guest Connect. Do a work to your glory and our blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.